Well, good morning. Good to see you. Welcome to the beginning of our new series, Recentering. And based on those quotes, I'll give you three guesses as to maybe, just maybe, what is our topic of conversation today? On three, one, two, three. Yes! See, I made it easy for you, because if you've grown up in the church, which I recognize not all of us have, that's just always the right answer. Like in Sunday school, I remember seeing like a story once where someone was like teaching a Sunday school class. I don't know if this is a real story about, they were talking about Noah's Ark and they were actually trying to get the kids to like, they were describing an animal and they were like, and it has a long fluffy tail and it's got these things. And the kids like were silent and one kid's like, it really sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus. (laughs) And so... It's kind of, that's what we're doing today. So we are at the beginning of our new series. It's fall. As a church, we tend to kind of gather again after Labor Day as we re-emerge into the rhythms of the fall uh, to just kind of focus ourselves even as a church. We're in the midst of some new rhythms. And um, so we're doing that again. We're, we're taking a series called Recentering. And that can have a lot of meanings, but we really just, as a teaching team and as pastors, have sensed like it's time to like just use these weeks to pull together, recenter on who we are who we are as followers of Jesus, but who we are as a church, who we are as the meeting house specifically. And so what these next weeks are going to be actually are a little bit of a reminder or maybe like a lesson for the first time on like, who are we as a church? What's the tradition we've come from? What are the values that we hold to as a church? And so that's where we're headed today. You can see in your notes, if you have them or here on the slide, these are where we're headed in the next three weeks. And these would represent sort of the core values of who we are as a church. Uh, This week we're talking about Jesus centricity. Next week we're going to look at peace and nonviolence. And then the third week we're going to talk about being radically compassionate. And this, this comes, we didn't just make this up. This comes obviously from what we see in scripture, but also the tradition we come from. We, the Meeting House is a part of the Be in Christ Church of Canada. And the Be in Christ Church of Canada is a denomination that fits under the, uh, the religious spiritual tradition of Anabaptism. And this isn't going to be a history lesson, but we come from a rich tradition of people who have come and said, as we f- look at the, the way of faith, as the idea of faith, we can't help but put Jesus at the center. And that kind of changes things. And I kind of wish we had time for a history lesson because we see that the tradition we come from, the people that have gone before us, actually became quite subversive in their faith because they said, what we see in the words and the way of Jesus are different than what the church is doing in some senses. And so we follow and are birthed out of and live out of a rich tradition of holding to some values that are Anabaptist in nature. That's who we are. And that defines us as a church. And so this week, at the core of who we are, we would say we are Jesus Centered, And so we're going to spend some time talking about Jesus centricity. Now, when it comes to being Jesus centered, if unless you're very brand new to the meeting house, which if you are, I just want to say welcome. We are so glad that you're here. You've come at a great time to learn about who are we as a church. But if, if you've been around any length of time, that term Jesus centered probably is very familiar to you. It's one that we use a lot, and there's, there's that, I'm excited to spend some time talking about it today. But as I was thinking about it, I can't help often what movie quotes come to mind for me. And one of my favorite movies of all time is The Princess Bride, which I know, I know, we got a few woot-woots in the crowd. We also have some are like, who, what is that? That's an old movie now. Um, But there's this quote that I think applies really well, and you can see it here. And if you know the movie, you know exactly what's happening here. Um, (laughs) 
the, one of the characters keeps using the word inconceivable. And finally, the, his, the other guy gets so fed up, he says, I don't think it means what you think it means. You keep on using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And I think that might be true. When we talk about Jesus-centered, it's such a familiar word to us now. It's such a familiar term to us as the meeting house that I think it is time for us to pull together and say, we keep on using that term. I do not think it means what you think it means. And so let's spend some time recentering on the idea of being Jesus-centered. So we talk about the tradition out of which we've come, this Anabaptist tradition. And while this isn't an exhaustive list, and like I've said, this isn't a history lesson, these are three areas that when we talk about being Jesus-centered, the difference that that might make, the areas that this might make a shift in how people do church, and how people follow the way of Jesus. So the areas are scripture, life, and faith. And the difference about being Jesus-centered, or the definition of being Jesus-centered, is when we look at scripture, we would say it's Jesus rather than the Bible. That's our final authority. And depending on the religious tradition you've grown up in, the church that you've walked in and grown up in, that might sound really risky to say out loud because we hold the, the Bible in such a high regard as we should. But yet, it's Jesus who is the final word and the final authority, not scripture. We're going to talk about that in a bit. Life, the idea of how we live our lives as follower of Jesus. The, the faith we follow, Christianity, is about following Jesus in daily life. Which again, these might sound like no-brainers. But for a lot of people, for a lot of the ways we've been raised in our faith and in our, in our tradition, what we've been taught is the idea of Christianity is to make sure you secure eternal life at the end of it all your ticket into heaven. And we would say there's actually a radical way that our entire life can be shaped, formed, and transformed by following the way of Jesus. And when it comes to our faith, we would say that this Jesus is actually the Lord, not just our savior. And we're gonna talk about the nuances of what that means. So again, this is certainly not in any way an exhaustive list, but hopefully it starts to give some framing and some shaping as we talk about what does it mean to be Anabaptist? What does it mean to be Jesus-centered? These sorts of things would be at the core there. And so let's take those one by one and take a look. So the idea of scripture, we interpret scripture through the lens of Jesus. His words are the ones that are the blueprint for how we're meant to live our lives. And the beautiful thing about this is it doesn't mean we don't focus on the rest of the Bible because the actual words of Jesus really are only in like this much of it in the New Testament as he lived and walked on the earth. And I think as we, as we wrestle with this idea of being Jesus-centered and saying something that might sound radical to say we follow the words of Jesus, people might say, well, then what about the rest of scripture? It's holy, it's inspired by God. And we would say, yes, and every single word of it points to Jesus. It starts to change how we look at passages in the Old Testament. It starts to change the passages of scripture that feel hard to reconcile but when we see that the entirety of scripture is a narrative and a story pointing, it climaxes in the life and the way and the words of Jesus, it brings a freedom to how we can hold and wrestle with and study our scriptures. Because the lens through which we can see it is Jesus. If you, if you want to follow along in a passage of scripture, I'm going to confess right now, we're not going to be landing in like one chunk of scripture for the entirety of this message. And for some people, depending on how you're wired, that might be very frustrating. 
because if you're like me, you like to know the order of where are we headed and where are we going. But if you want to open your Bibles, the place that we'll likely see a little bit of where we're headed is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and John 5. And I want to take us a little bit to Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and just highlight a few verses that are in there as we talk about this idea of Jesus being the lens through which we view Scripture. So for us, as people who follow the way of Jesus, who would say we're Jesus-centered, we would say the best place to start is the Sermon on the Mount. These are the words of Jesus that he gave, and I always like to call it the blueprint. As Jesus came and began his life and his ministry, he preached this long sermon essentially to say, to follow my way, to move forward the way of the kingdom, here's the blueprint of how to do it. And while these words might be so familiar to us, my invitation is to see them through the radical lens that the early listeners of the time as Jesus was preaching would have heard it with. And so we say we follow the way of Jesus and interpret scripture through that lens because that's what he says too. In Matthew 5, as he starts, he says this, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He was speaking to people who for their whole faith tradition would have ascribed to every last word of their scriptures. Every T that was crossed, every I that was dotted, they followed it with such rigidity and with such an effort to get it just right. And Jesus came, I didn't, I didn't come to throw that out, but what you need to learn and see is that in me, every last word is fulfilled. Every last word is fulfilled. And just a little bit later, through the whole of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and if you're a flipper through your Bible, I'd encourage you while I'm talking to do this now. In home church questions, you'll start to catch a bit of a theme in one of the questions that this is what I'm pointing out. Jesus says many times over as he lays out the blueprint, you have heard it said, but I tell you. You have heard it said, but I tell you. And what he's doing is he's quoting for them their scriptures, our scriptures, the Old Testament. He says, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, even if you look at a person lustfully, you have sinned. What Jesus does is he says, the scripture just isn't enough. To check off the law that's there isn't enough because when it's fulfilled in me, when you follow my radical way of living, this is the way we bring forward the kingdom. This is the way our, our, our lives can embody a love ethic, and a way of ushering in my way, the way of the kingdom. And so when we say Jesus is at the center of as we interpret and study scripture, we can look at the words of Jesus that says, you have heard it said, but if you put me in the middle, this is the fulfillment of that. This is how we live that out. And so my invitation for us and for each of you as we talk about what it looks like to spend time in your scriptures, as we look at that through the lens of Jesus, is hear him say, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And as you hold scriptures that may feel hard or heavy or tricky, or where do they fit in the context, say, how does this point me to the way of Jesus? What does it teach me about Jesus or show me about Jesus? The entirety of scripture is culminated in the life of Jesus. What Jesus says is what shapes our life. And that will never contradict what's in here but it keeps Jesus at the center. In John 5, Jesus says a little bit more about this, and you can see it's actually there too. Um, in John 5, starting at verse 37, 
He's speaking to people who held their scriptures in such high regard as they should. But Jesus comes to say, I am the final authority. Verses 37 says, as the father who sent me has himself testified concerning me, you have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. Jesus is trying to paint a picture to say, hello, I'm right here. I am God in human form. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me who have life. So this wasn't a, this wasn't a new, a new uh, challenge. Jesus was trying to help them to see that there's so much more than simply following the words in scripture because they're in Jesus that there's fulfillment. And we have that invitation for us today too. So that's the first kind of category we talked about as we talk about our tradition of what does it mean to be Jesus-centered? It changes how we read our Bibles. It actually also changes that second category of how we live our life. <clears throat> Christianity is about following Jesus in daily life. And again, I said this earlier, this might feel or seem like a no-brainer, like, yeah, that's the point, isn't it? Isn't that the entire point of our faith is to follow the way of Jesus? But I think for many of us, whether all the time or at times in our life or depending where you're at in exploring an idea of a, of a faith, it can be easy to take that and compartmentalize it as a component of our life. The place we go on Sunday mornings, the community we engage with at church, or even the thing I do before I eat my breakfast in the morning is read my one passage of scripture. We're really good as a human race at compartmentalizing so that we have room to make everything fit. And the invitation of Jesus and the idea of being Jesus-centered is to say that the way of Jesus needs to shift and change and radically change every piece of our life. It's not just about our ticket into heaven at the end. And when we narrow it into just the focus on, we gotta tell people about this so that they can have eternal life. And get, don't get me wrong, that is a beautiful, very radically important piece and gift that God has given us. But the invitation that Jesus invites us into as a way of faith is to let it shift and change how we live our lives. The early church let it shift and change how they lived their lives and people paid attention to that. They stood out because their lives looked different than the lives of everyone around them. To embody a way of being Jesus-centered means that as we hear and hold the words of Jesus, it changes every piece of who we are because we're starting to turn our lives to look towards him and to look more like him. And if you're here, something we say as a church, as part of our vision is we want to introduce spiritually curious people to the Jesus-centered life. That's our vision. And so if you're here saying, I don't actually yet follow Jesus, we're actually extremely glad you're here. And what I would say is as you explore the life of Jesus, and this might sound risky for me to say because we want you to feel as comfortable as you can, but following the way of Jesus should produce a shift and a radical change in how you live your life. And that may not happen overnight. And there will always be things we wrestle with as we try to reorder where things fit and how, what it looks like to follow Jesus, especially those uncomfortable pieces. But to be a follower of Jesus, to be Jesus-centered, means your life should look really different. And hopefully that's captivating, 
And hopefully that's a compelling invitation, not a daunting one, not an overwhelming one, not the one that turns you off because the beautiful piece about following Jesus, he says, the life that I have for you to follow is what's going to bring fulfillment and abundance. There's an invitation into a meaningful life when we orient our life around Jesus and not just keep him in a compartment over here. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus invites us into this in Matthew 6. He says, seek first my kingdom and everything else will fall into place. Orient your life around me first. And the, the things we want, the ways our heart is, the things we desire, the ways we have focus on things, all of that starts to shift when we seek Jesus first. And I think that can be scary for us because there's so many things we want to orient towards. So many things we want to desire. So many places we want to divide our time and our interests and our skills. And none of that is wrong. But Jesus says, seek me first. And everything else will be added. Being Jesus-centered means that our entire life should be following his way. And then very closely combined with that is this third way of being, this idea of how it affects our faith. And I I had trouble separating these two, actually, because they're so combined. But to define being Jesus-centered means that we say that Jesus is our Lord and not just our Savior. And this goes along with how it shapes the orientation of our life. But there is a difference between simply saying Jesus is the one that uh, gives me eternal life. Jesus is the one that saves me from my sin. And that is very true. But we have an invitation as a church and as followers of him to say Jesus is actually the Lord of our life. When we declare Jesus is Lord, we're saying that he's our teacher, he's the one we follow, and he is our God. It's a radical declaration, actually. Because it's ordering him first, and that changes every other piece of our life. When Jesus is at the center, it should change how we spend our money. It should change how we spend our time. It should change the things we put as a priority Having Jesus as our Lord says, I submit to you and the spaces and invitations and places that you invite me to live in and out of. And as people, we have a temptation to put literally everything else in the middle. Literally everything else. Everything can take first priority. Even really good things, our family, our careers, our hobbies, our money. And to be Jesus-centered means that these things become less important than what Jesus is saying to us. And we do this as people, but I think as church traditions and as a church and even as the meeting house, we do this too. And I love this quote from a friend of mine and a pastor that pastors in our area, Leanne Friesen. She's a good friend of the meeting house. She's spoken here and she says this, when we say Jesus is Lord, this means that we also put aside the temptation to make good Christian things the center of our faith. If Jesus is Lord, the Bible is not Lord. Orthodoxy is not Lord. Good apologetical arguments are not Lord. Effective statements of faith are not Lord. Beloved pastors are not Lord. Churches are not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the filter through which we look at everything, and we must ask the question, does this decision or action or thought align with having Jesus as my leader? And that's the invitation for us this morning as we talk about recentering on the idea of being Jesus centered. And as we do that as individuals, I want to talk a minute about doing this. How do we do this as a church? How do we keep Jesus as a, at the center? 
And I want to show us an image. This comes from Mark Baker. He's a, he's a professor of uh, mission and theology at Fresno Pacific Seminary. And he's also a friend of Jesus Collective and the Meeting House. And so these are, these are his ideas. And he talks about the difference between a church being bounded set or centered set. And I, I, I want to pull up these images because I think they help shape our minds around the subtle nuances because I think as Christians we can think, well, we're always Jesus-centered. He's the point. But so often something else becomes the point. And as we talk about how to be Jesus-centered as a church, Mark has some fantastic, he has a whole book called Jesus or the Centered Set Church. And he has fantastic ideas, but he talks about when you're bounded set. So let's talk about the church for a minute being bounded set. A bounded set community or church or organization draws a pretty hard line around what defines who they are and what defines who they're not. When we as a person or a church put a hard line around things, we say these are the things that count. These are the things that put a person inside or outside the line. And the trouble with this is that there's a line and the focus then has to become on the rules. And often the things that help draw the line aren't Jesus. They're, they're, there are theological statements. They're like our list of uh, statements of faith. They're what we would value as far as a style of worship. They're what we would say who can and can't be a leader, what gender can or can't be involved. All kinds of things create a line, and the line might look good because it's actually based on really good things. But when we get there and when a church gets there, the problem is then it's very clear to see who might be in and who might be out. And we would say, like, well, you're invited. We want you on this side of the line, but you just got to do these things first to get on this side of the line. But to be centered set, to be Jesus-centered means that there doesn't have to be a line, but rather an invitation to just turn more and more towards the center. Do you see the differences? Do you see the shift when we say that we're focused on Jesus and centered on Jesus? So you may be way, 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 way out there. There's still an open invitation to say, but look to the center. And the beautiful thing about keeping Jesus at the center is we all have our eyes in the same space and on the same place, and then the invitation becomes how we get each other within the context of a church community to just take one more step to the middle. And when we're oriented to Jesus, that's our unifier. That's where our values come from. That's where our invitation comes from to have our lives transformed and changed. And you can see no matter where anyone is, there can be movement to the center. And that changes how we do things as a church, how we do things as the meeting house, how we focus ourselves around being small groups in home churches, how we sing the types of songs that we sing, how we engage with one another in our neighborhoods, in our communities. When Jesus is at the center, we don't have to worry so much about, have we checked off the list of, does this count, does this count, does this count, does this count? Because we're actually just focused on what Jesus invites us into. And you might be questioning, well, why are some people facing the other way? That, that's part of it too is that people may choose to say, that isn't how I want to orient. And then they just naturally start to walk the other way. But there's always the invitation to walk in and walk toward. At the center of the way is Jesus, his invitation to lordship, his value of peacemaking, his centrality of scripture. And as a church, this is who we are. As we talk about centering in the series, learning a little more about who we are, It's an invitation to focus on Jesus. 
And as one of your pastors, I'm going to kind of take a, a tangent away for a second here. Uh, we, we can name, we have often named, and I don't shy away from naming, we have walked through an incredibly hard season, haven't we? And we are still in some ways in the midst of a crisis. And as, as the senior pastor, I get the lovely esteemed privilege of getting a ton of emails. <laughs> and I'm an awful emailer. If you've emailed me, you know this. Uh, but it's actually, it, I joke, but it actually is a beautiful privilege. It's a beautiful privilege to have access to one another and to be in community together. But one thing that I've learned and have experienced is, is uh, we'll use emails, but I've had lots of conversations too. They span the spectrum of where people find themselves. Particularly as we walk through a hard season as a church, they span the spectrum of where, people's, where people are ha having a hard time, where they're wrestling, where they think we should go, what they think we've done wrong. And that's actually beautiful and healthy. It really is. But one thing that stood out to me is often what I hear or read or engage with is this question that says, are we being Jesus-centered? As we hold and walk through our crisis, are we being Jesus-centered? And that's actually a beautiful question. When I get that question, it's like, okay, you've been around the meeting house long enough to get this. You understand the heart of our faith. But also, conveniently, in a lot of circumstances, the Jesus-centered way that people think we should be very much aligns with what they think we should be doing. And so I've actually heard the spectrum in this season of being Jesus-centered means more like looking like this over here. And then I'll, my email will go again. It'll be like, Jesus, being Jesus-centered actually means a lot like looking like this. And we're getting the cry and the call to be like, hello, we need to be Jesus-centered. And that's true. But I go back to that, that meme at the beginning where it says, I don't know if it means what we think it means. And this, this is not a condemnation or in any way a disdain or a guilt to say, if you've asked that question, you're asking the wrong question. That is the most perfect question to be asking. But as we talk about who we are as a church, especially in this season, especially as we look forward, we do need to realign with what it actually means to be Jesus-centered. And what that means is we turn and we look at Jesus and we look at the way and the words of Jesus. And the really beautiful thing about that is as, as followers of Jesus and as people that say the meeting house is going to be my home and the meeting house is going to be the place I lean in, the ownership that you have is to do the work, the discipleship work in your heart to say, where do I need to orient a little more toward Jesus? And if each of us is doing that, we're all going to end up at the same place, maybe at different times. But the really beautiful thing is that someone who emails me from over here might say, this is where my heart is, and this is what's been heavy for me, and this is what's been tricky, and I think we need to be Jesus-centered. And I say, beautiful, and turn, and start to take steps. And then someone over here might email or talk or wrestle with something that we've been going through at the crisis and say, I think this is what it means to be Jesus-centered. I'm like, you might be right. Let's turn again and orient towards the middle. And neither person is wrong because Jesus is doing a different work in each of our hearts based on the part of our discipleship journey that we need to walk through and into. And some of us need to have our hearts softened in ways that have to look like forgiveness and repentance and healing. And some of us need to have our hearts softened in the ways that we think about being uh, caring for victims. And some of us, and this is where I fall, need to have our hearts softened to say, I need to focus solely and wholly on the words of Jesus and less on the words on Twitter and in the newspaper articles and in the emails I get. 
But this is our call as a church is to be centered on the words and the way of Jesus. And this is what we're walking through as a family in this season, is to just do that more and more. And we will not do it perfectly. I'm aware that my mic, someone is not happy with how my microphone is going. I'm very aware of that at the moment. And I feel like if I just stand still, it will stop. Um, we won't do it perfectly because we're humans and we're broken. Yeah, thanks. We, we won't do it perfectly, but we need to be a church that says, as we lean in, we trust that each of us is turning to walk more and more in the way of Jesus. And when we do that, it is the spirit that can shift and transform our hearts individually, but collectively as a church. And that is my prayer for us. And as we close, I'm over time, so I'm going to make this quick. I want to leave us in, as individuals, but also as the church. And particularly for those of you who say, I don't yet follow Jesus. I'm exploring things. I just found you. Here we are. Here's what you need to know about the truth of is that Jesus is the one with authority. And he says it. He says it over and over in scripture that he is the one with authority. And it's because of that, that we think being Jesus-centered is so important. And he says it at the very end of his ministry and his life. Jesus says this in Matthew 28. There it is. He says this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If that doesn't give us such a freedom and an excitement to know that he's the one we can follow, I don't know what does. Jesus is the one that says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, I told you we'd be in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 a bit, even though I haven't landed on one verse. At the end of that sermon, in Matthew 7, he says it again, or in a, in a you know, in a different way. He preaches all the things that say, this is the way of life you should follow. And then he says this, therefore, in light of everything I've just told you about how to live, therefore, if anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The invitation comes directly from Jesus to say, this is what you do. This is the way, this is what it means to be a follower of me. This is what it means to explore the way of Jesus. Hear my words, and if you put them into practice, then this is the firm foundation that we can stand on. And it's radical. And sometimes it leads to decisions that may not make sense to the rest of the world, to your neighbors, to your community, by the world's standards. It's what caused early Christians to stand out, and it's what brings transformation. And so ask yourself this week, Jesus, where am I oriented to you? Maybe your first step is to turn. Maybe it's not even about taking a step in, but it's just to start to turn and say, how am I focusing on you? How are you the one as the filter through which I make decisions? Ask Jesus that question. He might have things to tell you. Where have I let other things take over the lordship of my life? And the space that you should be, Jesus. And am I, am I courageous enough to put you at the center? Let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, it really is all about you. You are the one that we look to, the one that we follow, the one that we keep at the center. And we do it so imperfectly. And so often, so many other things take that position of lordship in our life. But God, by your grace and by your spirit, would you gently lead us more and more to you in the middle 
And Jesus, I pray that for this church. I pray that for this season of life as the meeting house, that wherever we stand, wherever we are, wherever our hearts are aligned, that you would call us to you in the center. And would you give us a collective unified wisdom on what that looks like? We long to be a place of safety and of refuge. And that looks different than the world in a way that draws people more and more to who you are and the change and transformation you bring to each of our lives. And we can only do that by your leading and by your spirit. So come and do that in us, we pray. Amen.